We discovered that there is a very narrow range in keyword volume that represents something that's come to that we've come to describe as the market size sweet spot. We looked at every single one of our most successful businesses and found that they all fit within this very narrow keyword search volume band. They weren't too big, they weren't too small, they were right in this range. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Today's episode is brought to you by InboxDone.com, who provide a human being to take over your email inboxes. That's right, someone else can handle your email for you. This company was started after I went to a networking dinner with some other entrepreneurs and I explained to them that I only check my email once per month. They looked at me quite shocked, so I had to explain that I actually have someone else handling about 95% of my messages. That's why I only need to go into my inbox once a month. That is the origin story of the InboxDone.com company. We've since gone on to launch this business to help other entrepreneurs and successful people like you who spend way too much time on their email when they should be doing other productive tasks for their business or fun things in their life. If this resonates with you, if you're getting too much email, you're spending too much time in your inbox, and you know having someone dedicated to handling your email, your customer service, and doing proactive things like chasing up clients over email, then Inbox Done is for you. Check it out at www.inboxdone.com. Hey, this is Yarrow, and I have a, an exciting guest on today for the podcast, someone who I have seen rise and rise and rise again in the internet marketing community over the last few years. He's become a bit of a superstar, and I'm always curious, uh, considering how crowded the internet marketing space is, you know, when you reach the top, you must be doing something a little different or a little new or a little special. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more about the behind-the-scenes story of my guest today and also just some amazing resources he's got for us with our internet marketing. So I'd like to welcome Ryan Levesque to the show. Hello, Ryan. Yaro, it is awesome to be here and it is great to be talking to you, my friend. Now, I didn't ask you before, but where are you calling me from? I am in very stormy Austin, Texas right now. So okay. if you hear some thunder or rain in the background, it is because it is in fact raining quite heavily right now. Okay, well that's good book writing weather. So you've been busy. I love, and I love you know, I'll tell you, I love sleeping to this weather. Like uh, the thunderstorm, I will just fall asleep like so easily. So I don't complain at all. So I know you primarily, I guess, from Ask, which is by far uh -huh. your, your biggest claim to fame. The Ask method, you're the buckets guy, as I sometimes call you when, <laughs> when you're not in the room. Um, I, went, I went through your book, uh, audiobook, a couple of years ago, I think it was, and you've now got a, I don't know if I want to call this a sequel or a prequel. I think I was framed both ways with this book called Choose, your new book. So before yep. we talk about you, let's put into context, you know, what is the new book? What is the old book? How does it all fit together? Totally, yeah. So, so Ask released in 2015, and in Ask, I revealed 
basically the marketing methodology I used to successfully enter 23 different niche markets. And it's really predicated on asking a very specific set of questions in a very specific way to understand your audience at a deep emotional level so you can then put people into different buckets instead of selling people in a one-size-fits-all way and segment your audience into different tracks. And so I you know, wrote the book and truthfully, I, I never expected the, the book to do what it did, but it went on to you know, sell hundreds of thousands of copies. It's in all these different languages. You know, Inc. Magazine rated it the number one marketing book of the year. And it's, uh, when you write a book like that, there are some amazing things that happen. One of which is you get a lot of letters and emails and messages from people who say the book changed their life. And not so amazing things that happen, one of which is people write to you who say, Ryan, I read your book, I followed exactly what you teach, but it didn't work. And when you get a message like that, it's kind of like a sucker punch in the gut, right? It's kind of like, well, wait, what did I, what did I miss? Did I do something wrong? Where did I miss things? And so that kind of spurned a three-year research project where I started looking at why was it that some people were having success with the ask method? And why was it that some people were not having success? They had the same methodology in front of them. And why was it that some were successful and others were not? And what I discovered in this process is that it all pointed back to the same thing. The people who were failing, who followed the process to the letter, were doing so because they started by making the single biggest mistake you can make in your business, which is they chose a bad market. So in other words, there's this metaphor that I use, I think is really helpful. It's sort of like when you start a business, it's like tossing your boat in the river, right? You expect the river is going to get you to your destination in the same way that you expect when you start a business, it's going to do all the things for you in your life that you expect it will, you know, generate income and create wealth and allow you to make an impact and have freedom and all the things that you want. And what I found is that, you know, people were making this mistake where, you know, you might have the best boat in the world, hire the best, most capable crew. You might row that boat 18 hours a day, busting your butt. But if you point that boat in the wrong direction in that river, you're never going to get to your destination. Or worse yet, if you put your boat in a river that doesn't have any water in it, it doesn't matter how hard you row. You're not going to get anywhere. And that's what I saw people doing is they were choosing bad markets. And it kind of led me down this path to ask the question, well, what is it that separates a good market from a bad market? Like, what does that mean exactly? As I started investigating the 23 markets that I had gone into, and some of them have been more successful than others, and so I looked at what was it that separated the really successful ones from those that weren't as successful. I did the same thing with uh, some of my students and our clients and looked at their businesses. And what I found was that there are seven factors, seven factors that determine if your market is a green light market a yellow light market or a red light market. And that is what this most recent book, Choose, is all about. If ask was how I entered these 23 different markets, Choose is why I chose those mm. 23 markets specifically in the sea of thousands or millions of possible markets or niches. Okay, so that is a fantastic little uh, taste of what we could possibly lead towards here. Obviously, the, <laughs> the next question I would ask is what are the seven? You know, read the book is, is one answer to that question. But I'm, <laughs> I'm actually curious how you even reach this point, given, you know, you had all these niche websites and you've moved on to have this business with these clients. And I, you're a very busy guy. You're speaking at lots of events. When I remember reading Ask, that's not how it always was. You were like a lot of people just trying to find that first profitable market and that first niche yep. business that works. And then 
You also struck me, and this is definitely, <laughs> I remember reading Ask going, this guy works really hard and he, he just can't slow down, you know. <laughs> and of course, you had that experience with the hospital, which kind of forced you to yep. slow down. And, and you know, I'd yep. love to touch on all of this. We don't have a lot of time to do your entire life story, but maybe we can just kind of yep. summarize. Born and raised in Austin or with this French name, uh, Ryan Levesque, there's, I know there's a French connection somewhere, right? There's a French connection. I've got a French-Canadian family. I grew up in New Hampshire, a little over the border. Uh, I've got family in Montreal. I've got family in Quebec. So Levesque is a very French name. Translates to bishop, for anyone who's curious. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I grew up very blue-collar. Uh, neither of my parents went to college. Uh, first of my family go to college. My dad worked nights, basically loading boxes on the back of semi-trucks. And my mom cut hair in the basement of our house to earn a little extra income. So I uh, grew up blue collar. Uh, first, of my family go to college, uh, got into an Ivy League school. So it was a big deal in my family to one, go to college. Number two, get into a pretty good college. I studied neuroscience and Chinese studies in school. <laughs> Parents thought I was going to become the next great neurosurgeon. So boy, were they disappointed when a few years later, I told them I was giving it all up to sell ebooks online. But that's a true story. I had to have that conversation with my parents. What was your justification um, but, uh, to your parents, Ryan, when you well, told them this? You know, so it was a precipitous fall from grace, right? So I went to school for neuroscience. My best friend in college, Dr. Charles Kasarjan, is a neurologist at the Mayo Clinic, the most prestigious medical institution in the United States in arguably the most difficult facet of medicine, neurology. So my parents constantly compare me to Dr. Charles. Um, but uh, after college, I had no idea what I, wanted, what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go to medical school. I knew I didn't want to become a doctor. Um, and so naturally, I do what everybody does, which is you work on Wall Street, right? So I decided to work on Wall Street, make a little bit of money that way. And uh, I'd always had, always had this interest in China and Chinese culture, and I wanted to live and work abroad. So I spent the next five years, my wife and I spent the next five years living and working in China. And I had a job opening up sales offices for the insurance company AIG. So I was basically running... China expansion for AIG, where I was traveling to a new city every couple of weeks, opening up a sales office, managing a local team. I was, you know, flying from one city to the other, living out of hotels. And I kind of reached this point in my mid 20s where I had this quarter life crisis, as I call it. And I said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I saw my boss who was in his 60s, who was the president of uh, China for AIG. And I saw what my future was going to look like. And I said, I don't want that to be my life, but I don't know what I want to do. And it led me down this journey. It was very much an entrepreneur's journey. And you'll be very happy to know, Yaro, that your blog, the Entrepreneur's Journey blog that you started way back in the day was one of my go-to resources when I was in my cubicle or in my office dreaming about what I might do someday. So um, it's kind of cool how this comes full circle. <laughs> That's nice to hear. And uh, so I was, you know, as a student of yours and other people like you who were living a very different type of life. And I said, I want that. I never want to have to beg on my hands and knees if I want more money, if I want to raise. I never want to have to have someone tell me, you need to be here at this time when I wanted control. I wanted freedom. And more importantly, I felt like I had something inside of me and I had more to give in mm-hmm. the world and, and untapped potential, right? And I don't know if, you know, if anyone listening to this ever feels that way where it feels like there's just... You've got, you know, there's more horsepower inside of you, more that you want to do, right? Whatever that is, if it's a creative endeavor or giving back or whatever it is, I just felt that emptiness. And so I wrote this 30 page letter to my parents, like a crazy person <laughs> and uh, wrote them this letter and told them everything that was going inside on inside. And they had no idea because I was in China, they're in New Hampshire, um, wrote them this letter. And uh, that letter, actually, my editor convinced me to reveal that letter, which was never intended to see the light of day ever. 
in my first book, Ask, and I, mm-hmm. and I share kind of the turmoil I was going through. And um, one day in 2008, I wake up to the Wall Street Journal in my office with the headline reading AIG to file for bankruptcy. That was a headline mm-hmm. in the uh, AIG Asia, uh, the Wall Street Journal Asia edition. And so that day, I remember I called up my wife. I said, go to WSJ.com. She says, what does it mean? I said, I don't know, but I think this is the sign I've been looking for. And uh, I drafted up a resignation letter, printed it up, signed it, walked into my boss's office before I could lose the courage to do so and gave him my two weeks notice. Mm-hmm. Packed up my bags, sold everything that I owned in the world. And my wife was in grad school at the time. She was uh, pursuing a PhD at uh, HKU, Hong Kong University. Um, she's in Hong Kong. I was in Shanghai. Moved into student housing together. We had been kind of living this crazy bi-country marriage where we'd see each other every couple of weeks. I moved in and then we got to work. And then the first business that we started was in one of these crazy random niche markets, teaching people how to make Scrabble tile jewelry. Jewelry using Scrabble tiles and origami paper. And if you're wondering, yes, it is in fact the thing. I did not make that up. <laughs> it is really a thing. So random. And we, um, and we went into that market because I think my wife had been listening to me at the dinner table for months, talking about every harebrained, crazy business that I was thinking about starting. And uh, one day, one of these dinners, she said, I have an idea. How about this? And she pointed out there's this new website that had just come out at the time. And the website uh, is a huge website today. But at the time, it was a, a startup that not very many people had heard about. And it was, it's called Etsy.com. And uh, if you're not familiar, Etsy is like eBay for handmade products, like for crafters and jewelry makers and knitters to sell their, their products online. And she said, take a look at this jewelry that's selling. It's, it's Scrabble tiles made with origami paper. And she said, check it out. She said, hey, here we are in Asia. We have access to all the origami paper that we'd ever want, all the variety. We have access to inexpensive labor in Southern China. We can set up a little factory and we can import the jewelry into America. What do you think? And you know, I said, honey, that's not the type of business we want to start. You know, I don't want to be chained to a factory in Southern China with all the pollution. And we want to build a business so we can travel and live a location independent lifestyle. And you know, the Yarostaric lifestyle, <laughs> that's what I want, you know? <laughs> um, I don't want to be you know, doing this. So we closed the book on the idea. And then a few weeks later, she, she brings it up again. And she says, remember that Scrabble tile thing I was telling you about? I said, I thought, I thought we closed the book on that. She says, no, 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 no. Check this out. And she showed me her computer. And she said, take a look at this woman's shop on Etsy. Now, the cool thing about Etsy is you can see a person's sales history. And this woman that she showed me was not making the jewelry. She was teaching people how to make the jewelry. So she was selling this tutorial online, a PDF, on how to make this Scrabble tile jewelry. And again, you could see her sales history on Etsy and she was selling her tutorial for about $30 and she was doing about 30 sales a day. We quickly did the math. We looked back at her sales history, a couple days, a couple weeks, the, ne- the last month. And we found that she was making about $10,000 a month teaching people how to make Scrabble tile jewelry. So my wife bought the tutorial and she said, it's not very good, it's homemade, there's spelling mistakes. Like I think I can learn how to make this jewelry and we can build a better product. And that's what we did. We built the product. First month we sold maybe, I don't know, a couple, couple units, then a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars. Eventually we were selling $8,000 a month in this tiny little niche market. This is a great chance since I know we're going to get lost in all the other niches that you start consequently after this first niche. But I'd love to tie this into Choose at this point, because obviously Ryan all the way and his wife back then, you were not 
familiar with, you know, choosing a niche whatsoever. No, so not at if, all. If we do like a hindsight, this is current day Ryan looking back at old school Ryan making that first decision to choose this education of Scrabble origami <laughs> crafts is so random. <laughs> I don't have, think we have time to go through all seven or maybe you can briefly, but how does it line up? Like, I mean, obviously you probably felt a little bit of back then was luck, but you know, did that niche match all seven criteria? Why did it work based on your current criteria? Well, you know, what's funny about it is it taught me the first lesson in choosing a niche. It's one of the things that I call the five market must-haves. Now, we went into this market. I mentioned we had grown, you know, a few thousand dollars a month, $8,000 a month. And literally, at our peak, the next month, sales dropped off to almost nothing. Mm. And we had this moment where we looked at each other, where at this point, you got to remember, I quit my job. My wife's in grad school, no income. We had burned through most of our savings at this point. And we had this moment where we looked at each other and said, oh crap, <laughs> what do we do now? Mm. And it taught me the first lesson in the importance of choosing a niche where I learned the importance of what I call market must have number one, one of the factors that I talk about in the book Choose, which is choosing an evergreen market. See, what I learned is that the Scrabble tile jewelry thing was just a fad. It was just like, you know, Beanie Babies Beanie or babies. fidget spinners or something like that. You know, it just, it was huge. It exploded. And then the next month disappeared and we were back to ground zero. So at this point, my wife and I were in Hong Kong. She finishes her PhD program and we say, what do we do? And she says, I'll get a job. Now my wife's academic background is in history and architectural studies and art history. So uh, she's in a field that didn't pay very well, but she got a job as a museum curator in Texas which is kind of what brings us back to Texas, uh, that paid $36,000 a year. And it was in Brownsville, Texas. Now, Brownsville is a border town. It's a border town right between uh, Texas and the Mexico border. It has a lot of historical significance with the trade with Mexico, but it is not a super pleasant place to live for most people. In fact, we lived in the poorest zip code in America. We had an apartment with bars on the windows, 400 square feet. We had two lawn chairs in the living room, a mattress on the floor, a $50 a week grocery budget. I drive my wife to and from work every single day and I worked on my business. And this time, learning what I had learned in that first market, you mentioned hindsight, I knew I wanted to go into a market that wasn't gonna disappear. Mm -hmm. So I started doing research on the oldest hobbies in America, the longest lasting hobbies in America. And what I found consistently as the number one or number two hobby every single year for like the last 100 years, is gardening. Gardening. It's hmm. been around forever. You know, and 100 million plus Americans consider gardening a hobby of theirs. So hmm. I started looking at niches within the gardening market and settled on orchid care, orchids as in the flower. Mm -hmm. And so built a business, kind of learning what I had learned um, with that first one. And uh, we took that business from nothing to $25,000 a month. My wife quit her job at that point. We moved to Upton, Texas, a much more pleasant place to be, which we've been here ever since, uh, going on 10 years. And took that business to half a million dollars a year. And to this day, Yarrow, a decade later, that one business alone still basically covers pretty much all of our living expenses. Wow. And I learned the importance of choosing an evergreen market. It's what I call in the book a metronome market, a market that just goes back and forth every single year. Now we've seen what happens like recently, people who have gone into markets that are just these fads, like one that comes to mind, and I'm sure you can uh, remember this, it wasn't too long ago, the Bitcoin market. 
right? I was there. Like, there was that time. Yeah, there was a time where you could not turn the corner without everybody talking about Bitcoin on Facebook. I mean, I remember getting my hair cut once and the one hairstylist was explaining to the other hairstylist what cryptocurrency is and what Bitcoin <laughs> was. And that was the moment where I realized like, this is like the textbook sign yep. that the bubble is gonna pop. And sure enough, I think it was December of 2017, Bitcoin reached that peak price. Yep. And the next month it fell off a cliff. And all these people who had built newsletters and membership sites and podcasts and all these businesses around Bitcoin, most of them disappeared. And mm-hmm. they're doing something different now. So that's that first market must have. Before we move on, I can't not ask you this, even just in summary, what made this Orchid business become a half a million dollar business? Because to me, that sounds like what would be a very competitive niche to get mm-hmm. into, maybe not so much back then. And you, you don't strike me, I mean, were you a one-man show? Like tech guy, marketing guy, buying ads, sourcing product. Oh, that's, yeah. that's an awful lot to make that work. So is that all you? Yeah. So it was my wife and me. And you know, one of the big questions I'm often asked is knowing what you now know with the hindsight and the wisdom that you have here, what would you have done differently if you could start all over again? And my answer unequivocally is I would have hired faster. Because I lost it all on that first business, I was so gun shy toward spending money in the first few years of our business. And so when I look at that business, we started with a single book. The business still exists today. If anyone's curious, you can look it up. It's orchidsmadeeasy.com. And we started with a book. Well, here's how the book was created. My wife wrote the book. I did the graphic design for the book. I did the graphic layout for the book in a free InDesign knockoff tool that doesn't even exist anymore today. I designed the website. When you look at the website, you're not gonna be very impressed. So, you know, that's a knock on my design skills. I learned HTML, I learned CSS. Facebook ads didn't exist. I learned Google AdWords. I drove, I ran all the Google AdWords. I learned how to, I learned copywriting uh, by studying the late, great Gary Halbert and his work. And yeah, I mean, uh, wore a lot of hats, do a lot of things. I remember one piece of money I spent, and gosh, I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't Odesk, it wasn't Upwork, it was Elance. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how to do this one thing I wanted to do on my website. And I remember for weeks trying to figure out this stupid thing on our blog, and I couldn't figure it out, and I ended up spending 50 bucks on Elance to have a coder do something. And it was one of those moments where it should have been the aha moment, like, (laughs) hey, you can actually pay other people to do this stuff. You don't have to learn CSS to, you know, this is before all the page builders exist, like, you know, lead pages, any of these page builders, they didn't exist at the time. It was just, WordPress was around, but even that, my first website wasn't even built on WordPress. It was just HTML and CSS. So yeah, I learned all these things, not to say I was very good at any of them, but uh, you know, years into the business, the business was doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year at Yarrow. And my wife and I still were every night or every couple nights, we'd put Netflix on, we'd have a giant pile of books, a giant pile of cheat sheets, a giant pile of yellow manila envelopes, and we were stuffing books in <laughs> envelopes, selling hundreds of times. We'd do promotions where we'd sell a couple thousand books at a time. Wow. And we were the ones slapping the labels on, printing on our Dell printer at home, doing this all ourselves. I remember going to the post office with crates of these boxes and the postal employees rolling their eyes at us <laughs> because we'd be dropping off stuff in line. You know, So yeah, I did a lot more myself than uh, I you know, wow. really probably should have and probably should have hired much sooner. And is it safe to say that sales were driven primarily by the, the AdWords at the time? Sales were our, my, I learned that, and I think I learned this from Perry Marshall. 
I think Perry said, if you can master one way to drive traffic and one way to convert traffic, that's all you need. And I see a big mistake that a lot of people make is they they try to do all of these things, especially today, right? It's like you've got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google Ads, and you've got all the other ones, Snapchat, do a podcast, a video show, all these platforms. Do I sell on Amazon? All these things. And the reality is you only need to master one of them. And for me, my one way to generate traffic at that time was Google AdWords. Okay. Let's keep moving forward then. I think that's a nice uh, overview. I mean, I'd love to dig into that business. I could spend a couple of hours and, talking and about it. I'll but. say, so, so I will, one, one last thing I'll say about okay. that. So, you know, so people make half a million dollars a year selling a book. Okay. In that business, we have a book. We have a DVD a video course. We created master classes in every single one of the most popular common orchid varieties, Cymbidiums, Oncidiums, Dendrobiums, Vandas, Cattleyas, uh, Phalaenopsis, Paphiopetalums. We have a course on hydroponically growing orchids. We call it the Just Add Water Method. We have a course on photographing orchids, on watercolor paintings, how to make your own fertilizer. We sell orchid jewelry. So we went inch wide, mile deep in wow. that space. But it underscores you know, what you're looking for in a market. The orchid example is a great example of one that checks most, although not all, of the boxes on the list of seven criteria. Uh-huh. Um, there are a few things in retrospect, knowing what I now know, that would have led me to probably not go into that market now because there are ceilings. Like it's not a multi-million dollar business. It's a nice six-figure business, but I've hit a ceiling in that business and had hit that ceiling for years uh, because of some of the limitations that the niche has uh, associated with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. You sound like you're like an orchid expert now yourself, Ryan. Is <laughs> I, I know more about orchids and Scrabble tile jewelry than I ever thought I would ever <laughs> know. So it's a bit embarrassing, but uh, you know, take what you can get. But you didn't write or create all those DVDs yourself, right? That wasn't you teaching how to be a gardener. You must have. No, what we did, yeah. So yeah. the first book was something that we we wrote ourselves. And every product thereafter, we learned the importance of finding experts in that area and most typically hiring them. Like the course, the DVD course, we have Chuck, who is a retired school teacher who does a lot of the teaching in that video course, who is someone who truly is an orchid expert. So he's a teacher, he's an educator, he has a background in education, and orchids had been his lifelong passion. And like so many people, wasn't someone who knew how to transform that passion into uh, a full-time income. And it was a great win-win opportunity. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could take us forward. I know you that's one, two niches of the 23 that you've been through, right? I think you highlighted another of the choose methods there. You said the, there was a cap on the size of the market. And now that led me to a question about what you actually wrote about with choose. Are you referring to lifestyle businesses or, you know, big explosive multi-million dollar even billion dollar unicorn style businesses or both when you when you're teaching this methodology it's a great question right so my vision like my grand vision when i first started my business was simple i said if i can build 20 half a million dollar niche businesses i'll have a 10 million dollar empire and i'll be diversified right so if you know i was so fearful starting my business, especially after the first one collapsed. I said, I never want to put all my eggs in one basket. 
Now, I later learned that that probably wasn't the best strategy because there's not a lot of cross-sell opportunity. Like my next business was in the memory improvement space. So this is, I built this business basically to make my parents happy, uh, <laughs> to show them that I was using my neuroscience background. So I, was, I did a business um, called Rocket Memory. It still exists today, where we teach people how to improve your memory using a series of memorization techniques. And I realized very quickly that our ORCID list was not interested in improving their memory, and our memory list was certainly not interested in ORCID. So it wasn't a strategy I would pursue today. But when we talk about the methodology that I outline and choose, a couple things are important. Number one, I'm a huge advocate for the business model of selling education and expertise. For the same reasons that I was turned away from selling Scrabble jewelry, but very intrigued with this idea of teaching people how to make Scrabble jewelry, that has served me my entire career. It has served my most successful students, most successful clients. You've had a ton of success with this model. I'm preaching to the choir here, mm. but it has the lowest startup costs, highest margins, uh, fastest way to, to, to get a business going. You don't need to be the expert yourself. You can find a, an orchid chuck in your niche to work with, hire, partner with, whatever you want to do to be the expert if you yourself are not the expert. So there's so many benefits to this business, even if you have another type of business already. You you might have a physical storefront or you sell physical products. I believe everybody should be selling some form of education and expertise. Now, the objection that I often hear is that, well, there's so much free information out there. Can you really build a business around this? I looked up this stat recently, and it's fascinating that uh, did you know that over $800 million a day is spent on information online wow. a day wow like almost a billion dollars a day spent on information online uh, when i went to college tuition was forty thousand dollars a year it was an expensive school back then it's over eighty thousand dollars a year today 15 years later most things have not doubled in price in the last 15 years so people are spending more money on education today than they ever have in history so you have nothing to be worried about People are paying for different types of things now, and that's the key that you want to be looking for. But So that's the first thing that I advocate, so selling education and expertise. Second thing is this. I assume in this book that you are bootstrapping your business. What I mean by that is you're starting this business yourself, either with your savings, maybe you're borrowing a little bit of money from friends and family, but you're not raising millions of dollars to build a Silicon Valley venture-backed unicorn-type company like you mentioned, Yara. So this is predicated on building a business that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, could grow beyond that. So when we talk about market size, I, I, let's touch on that for a minute. That's a question I get all the time. People want to know, like, is, do, have I selected the right size niche? Is my niche too small? Is my niche too big? And I was very curious to look at the answer to this question as well. So we went back and looked at each of our 23 niche markets. I went back and looked at my students, my clients, and I was curious to know if there was any correlation between market size and success. And here's the crazy thing. We discovered that there is a very narrow range in keyword volume that represents something that's come to, that we've come to describe as the market size sweet spot. We looked at every single one of our most successful businesses and found that they all fit within this very narrow keyword search volume band. They weren't too big, they weren't too small, they were right in this range. Now for months, after we made this discovery, my colleague Michelle and I on my team, I remember we were in person, we're sitting in the office, we looked at each other and we said like, this this is incredible. And we debated whether or not we were gonna share that. 
Because the reality is like, that's kind of our secret sauce, right? That's like, you know, our most successful niches. Are we going to put it out there? And in the end, we decided in the book to reveal what those keywords are so that you can take your keywords in your market and you can compare them against these benchmark keywords. We call them the Rosetta Stone keywords because they've kind of unlocked this discovery. And we walk you through how to use the free tool Google Trends to compare your niche against these reference niches to see are you in the sweet spot or are you too big or too small, in which case you should either niche up or niche down to get yourself into that zone. Mm, that's really interesting, very uh, analytical and and no doubt extremely helpful for those people who are more inclined to look at the keywords but not want to sort of get lost in that area because it can be, you know, it's a bit of a rabbit hole of um, information, very overwhelming for people who are new. Brian, I'd love to sort of, and we only have like 10 minutes more, and I want to kind of wrap up your personal story here too and maybe, you know, tie in a few more of these choose points. So how many years ago was the Orchid business started? Like then till now, how many years do we have in your life? So 2008 around is when we uh, we started that business, right around 2008. You can go to the Wayback Machine to get the exact dates. The website still exists. I think our website was originally called ultimateorchidguide.com. Um, you can go to archive.org and see the exact date. But 2008 was when we first okay. started that. And here we are now recording this in 2019. So, so um, it's a decade. 11 years strong. Yeah, yeah it's over a decade. Over yeah. a decade. And there's still another 21 niches you managed to roll out <laughs> in that 10 years, not to mention write two books. And you've got a massive consultancy business around the Ask Method, too. How have you, like, summarize? Give, give me the last 10 years in five minutes, please. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so we entered all these different niche markets, and and like most things in life, like the first the first one takes the longest, right? You know, and then we start developing a system. You're able to roll things out much more quickly. So the first one took the longest, and you know, kind of compress things from there. When I wrote the book, ask that's when things really started to change. I started shifting our focus away from our niche businesses and instead focused entirely on teaching other entrepreneurs. And I, I was hesitant to do that for so many years because I always had this quote in the back of my mind, those who can't do, teach. And so I was a reluctant teacher. I didn't want to be perceived as someone who wasn't a practitioner, who didn't know what they're talking about, but was just, you know, teaching. There's that perception of, you know, people who have never made any money online, teaching people how to make money online, right? I just didn't want to be one of those guys. And so I was reluctant to do that for, for so many years. You know, when I look at what we've done today as a company, we, you know, my goal when I started our business, Yara, was I said, if I could make $10,000 a month in passive income, that would be my dream. That was my dream. And here we are a little over 10 years later. Last year, we just passed $10 million a year in uh, income revenue in our business. Our revenue is public. We're, we landed on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing companies in America two years in a row. But uh, in fairness, I have a team, right? So talking about hiring, I have a team of about 55, 60 people, full-time team members, employees in our company right now. So when I started, that's not the business that I wanted. I wanted a business specifically that I didn't have a team. Like I just wanted to just be me. I wanted to just keep things simple. And then over time, I realized to make the impact I wanted to make and to, you know, create the, you know, as a creative, I'm a very creative person to do the things I wanted to do, write books and things like that needed a team and infrastructure to make that happen. So, you know, that's kind of 10 years in a nutshell, $10,000 a month was my goal, just past $10 million team of about 55, 60 people now mm. to help make it all happen. Launched a software company that we passed a million dollars in revenue in our first year and, you know, growing that to as much as we can. And, 
and kind of going from there. So got a little bit going on. Yes, I'm a busy guy. I don't shy away from it. I don't like to mislead people and lead people to think that, you know, I live a, a four hour work week. I've got 10 interviews today alone till eight o'clock at night. It's not uh, common that I work that late. I've got two young kids. And uh, my goal now, as I look at kind of what's important to me is, is uh, can you be 1%, top 1% in the areas of wealth? So top 1% wealthiest, top 1% healthiest in health, top 1% in family. So however you might rate or describe that, you know, top 1% husband, top 1% dad, and top 1% in philanthropy, in giving back. Mm -hmm. Can you be top 1% in the world in those four areas at the same time? And that's kind of at a personal level what um, is uh, what I've really aspired to and, you know, wanted to to do that and as a, as a personal challenge and, and make sure that everything we do supports that. I'm sure you've met a lot and you know a lot of entrepreneurs who have lost their health. I lost my health earlier in my career, who have lost their families, who don't, who don't do anything to give back. They're very selfish. And, and I wanted to create a life and a business that allows you know, excellence in, in each of those four areas. Mm, fantastic goals challenging to do them all at once, or at least I guess you're doing this I don't know if it's possible. I, I'm, certainly, I'm certainly not there in all those areas. Uh, and I don't even know if it's the worthiest goal to pursue, but it's one that I'm, I'm very fascinated at exploring. A, has anyone done it? Who has done it? How have they done it? Mm. And um, is that the, the right thing to pursue? I just finished reading um, a Chuck Feeney's bio, who I think would probably mm. be the, he's the guy who kind of inspired the giving pledge. He managed to give away $8 billion, his entire wealth while he was living and he's still alive. Yeah. But I don't know if the family and everything else was quite as balanced. So yeah, it's an interesting question to do it all at once. Ryan, let's wrap it up. So I, I feel like sure. the, the, the great summary here is you went from your early days when you described that and, and then found yourself in niche marketing, wanting to break free from a job had a success story that then crashed and burned, then had a second success story that you learned from, did really well with the Orchids, which then turned into a methodology for building niche websites, which obviously was a, a journey in itself. But then once you became confident in that methodology, you felt you could teach it to others. Hence, Ask was born, which then led to your consultancy and the sort of business you run today and also the software service. I know you've got bucket related software tool which to implement the ask method, right? And then currently today, as we totally. were talking, choose kind of like trying to solve that last piece of the puzzle, especially for those who struggled with ask after learning it from you because they don't have the right market. So that's kind of like a summary of where you've got to. Obviously it's been a journey from maybe pure lifestyle well, from employee to pure lifestyle entrepreneur to now CEO of a uh, I guess you're you're pushing towards the the hundred million dollar valuation already, uh, which is amazing. Where can people get choose for starters if they're all the way back at the beginning of this process just trying to find their first money making niche? Yeah, so I love how you summed that up. I was like, man, this is great. Like, I just I need to record exactly what you just said because it was so much more concise than uh, that's your interview. What, two minutes. It. Yeah, yeah, it was great. But we, I want to do something super special for your audience. Again, like I've been a student of yours since the very beginning. I I actually remember sitting in my cubicle at my last job, the last ever job I ever had, and I remember logging into a, of course, an incognito browser, clearing my history because I want to get caught at work, to Entrepreneur's Journey. I remember looking at that, and um, you know, so you're someone who's had a big influence and you know, been inspiring, I think, for me, seeing someone like you doing what you've done that kind of gave me the confidence to make the leap. So I want to do something super special for you and your audience, and so here's, here's what we're going to do. I have a limited number of uh, hardcover physical books that I want to give away 
to your audience. All I'm asking is that you pay a few dollars shipping and handling and I'll ship it to you anywhere in the world, whether it's Montreal, whether it's Hong Kong, where, wherever it is, a hardcover copy of the book. And I'm also gonna hook you up with $200 in free bonuses, including the audiobook version of the book. I know a lot of people, if you're like me, like listening to books, so I'm gonna hook you with that. Number two, I'm gonna hook you up with, so I mentioned I went to 23 niches. I have a private list of the niches I would be going into next. And I am going to give your audience my 25 next niches that I would be going into in 2019 if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. So these are niches that check off all the boxes that I teach you how to evaluate in Choose. So you can either use these as inspiration or actually go into one of these markets if you'd like. I'm gonna hook you up with that. I'm also gonna hook you up with my business mindset training. Again, my academic background's in neuroscience. I've been obsessed with the brain and psychology and neuroscience, so I have a course on the 17 mental hacks you can use to overcome things like fear of failure, analysis paralysis, self-confidence, self-doubt. I'm gonna, it's a course that we sell separately for $199. I'm gonna hook you up with that for free. The link though is a super special link. You won't find this on our website. The link is choosethebook.com forward slash Yarrow. And if you go there, again, I have a limited quantity of these books and I'll ship you a free hardcover copy of the book to anywhere in the world, just cover a few dollars shipping and handling. That is fantastic, Ryan. What a great package. And I appreciate the audio version. I too am an audiobook lover. So uh, that's definitely the way I'm going through your book. Good luck with the book. I know you're about to continue on with this busy day of interviews and so on. It's it's book launch time. So enjoy it. And yeah, it's, it's great to see the success of this methodology and, and you helping so many people. So I, I know you're doing some good work out there with, with all those lifestyle entrepreneurs, which is my favorite group of people as well. So yeah, thanks for all your work and uh, keep up the good work. Yara, I want to say thanks so much for the opportunity, for sharing, and I owe you a huge debt of gratitude, man. Uh, I don't know that I'd be here in this seat talking to you today if it weren't for you putting out all the great work you've done for, gosh, the last decade plus. So thank you for all you've done, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Yaro's podcast. For more episodes, visit yaro.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.